South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, and a very good chilly morning across South Texas in the Hill Country. 29 at my house this morning. Didn't get quite that cold in San Antonio, and uh, we definitely had a frost up in the Hill Country. Sure, hope you (laughs) protected those tomato plants and any really tender things out there. Here in town, nice thing is that the wind has stopped, the sky is blue, the sun's out. Not supposed to get real warm today, but I tell you what, if the sunshine stays out, I'll bet it will get warmer than the 55 that they're forecasting. So, Hopefully, at least for San Antonio, that was the last uh, freeze of this winter season. But uh, since it's still February, take nothing for granted. The next 10 days look pretty good, though, other than they're going to be very dry. Going to be great weather for gardening. Uh, Looking at the phone bank, we've got several open lines. Ron's going to be up first. You could be up second if you pick up the phone and call me, 210-599-5555. And uh, let's just get started with those calls, uh, Don. And uh, uh, that'll be Ron up first. Good morning, Ron. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Uh, Good morning. You and the dirt doctor were talking about a circular garden. Uh, I don't know if you'll find this interesting or not. It's not particularly a question you would normally get or, or a comment you would get. Uh, I'm a master naturalist, and I've volunteered over at the uh, property. It's not owned by the University of the Incarnate Word. It's owned by the Sisters yeah. of Charity. Very, and very familiar with hole, it. You know, yeah, you know where the blue hole is. Well, there's about 40-plus 40, 40 acres of, of native land, uh, kind of uh, creek-bottom land. Mm-hmm. And basically, our job was to remove invasive species. There's just lots of them. But on the property, we built, I, we built, I didn't do it. Well, I did help a little bit, uh, a medicine wheel. And I don't know if people are familiar with this, but the Native Americans for centuries, if not thousands of years, have made medicine wheels all over the United uh, North America. And this one, uh, we planted herbs and native plants in. So it was a circular medicine wheel or garden, really is what mm-hmm. it is with with native uh, limestone rocks to make pathways and separate it so anyway i just thought it was sort of interesting that uh circular gardens have been around for thousands of years <laughs> oh yeah and and were an important part of culture the circle of life so to speak uh that term came along a lot uh, a lot later but uh the vision of life in general as being a being something circular uh, like you say, is has is, is hung around since biblical times. But I did not know that uh, that you all had constructed this. How how large is it? How big in diameter? You know, I'd have to guess. I'm going to say 50 feet across. It's uh-huh. about, I think there are some old soccer fields. They don't play soccer there anymore, so it's an open area. A lot of it's wooded, of course, and there are hiking trails. You can you can go there and, and right, uh, right. You know, hike the trails, take a dog. Uh but it's probably about three or four hundred yards from west of the Blue Hole on uh, some open land, I think, where they had soccer mm. fields. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. That's uh, um, I'm glad to know it. I, I was aware that circles have been around time, along, around a long time. I mean, you look at labyrinths, you look at a lot of uh, mazes, uh, just about... Oh, so many things created over, you know, our lifetimes and uh, our relatively recent history in this country were built around circular things. And, of course, in Europe, you go way, way, way further back than that. But uh, it's a very interesting concept. And uh, 
Howard, uh, I just, I, I just am so interested in all the people that Howard knows and all they do. And it's my understanding that uh, they're planning a number of these as basically as a landscape feature. We plan ultimately to do something similar to that here at the nursery but uh uh interesting things it's it's amazing how interconnected <laughs> what we do is and uh interested to know i i spent part of my growing up years in albuquerque and of course we had uh, a lot of navajo customs and traditions and uh, uh lots of lots of information about native Ar- americans that we grew up with and i knew of medicine wheels but I, i've never seen one so i'll have to make it over to yours one of these days yeah yeah it's uh you know, it's, if it's if it's during the time when the school's in session, parking's an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, if you go on a weekend or <laughs> after five o'clock, you can you can park there. Well, I I know the code to get into the diocese over there, <laughs> so I oh, think okay. we'd probably find they they've done a beautiful job of. Uh, some of the landscaping, some of the use of water and things like that they've done over there and have done a good job of maintaining it. Maintaining the, the native plants that are there, they've got a lot of mountain laurels and uh, quite a few different things in there. But, uh, boy, you're right about everything from, uh, oh, golly, the Japanese ligustrum to, oh, who knows, the everything that's, else. That's that is. The, the, the ligustrum is the major uh, invasive plant, along with what we call china berries. Those are the two oh, yeah. And, and there's a there's a uh, live oak tree. It's just mammoth. I mean, it's beautiful. Just to, just to go on the hiking trails to see that tree is almost worth uh, going there. It's uh, <laughs> it's a little oasis in the middle of a big bustling city, and uh, it's uh, anyway. It, I'm so glad that uh, the church saw fit to set aside uh, the land and create what they've done over there, and to involve you guys and restoring it more to what it once was and uh just keep up the good work and let us know if we can ever read of his assistance well thank you thank you bob appreciate it well, it's my pleasure thank you for the call this morning i really appreciate it ron thank you you bet all right uh looks like my next two callers are carrie and john carrie is up first good morning carrie Hi, good morning. How are you today? I'm off to a good chilly start. I mean, I walked out this morning and thought, oh, you know, I was I was hoping we were beyond this, but just glad it didn't get any colder and haven't seen a lot of heavy frost around, so I think most everybody's gardens will come through in great shape. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Well, I have a couple qu- I have I have three different questions for you. One, is okay. we built a big arch. Um, it's seven feet tall and it's 28 feet long. And okay. What? And it's right next to my vegetable garden. Like it, we built it partly so the dog will run under it and not go into my vegetable garden. <laughs> so, okay. How high is the arch? The top is how far off the ground? It's seven feet. Okay. Very good. It's it's good sized, very good sized arch. Uh, and your question about it? Um, what's the best? Uh, plants i guess that will vine because it's tall i Mm -hmm. what's the best vining what would you recommend it's right next to my vegetable garden too sure for vining here it's on it's a it's not a cattle panel Uh uh-huh we were trying to figure out i know the metal gets hot but i want something that'll well once yeah once once the metal's shaded by whatever you put on it that won't be an issue at all um if you want 
you know, something edible that you can put on it. They're always grapes. Uh, if you want something unusual and edible, you can plant uh, a couple of kiwis. Male and female plants are separate, uh, but you can plant kiwis if you want to continue in the vegetable tradition, so to speak. Um, although they would be annual, you could always plant pole beans. You could always plant, you know, there are a number of vining things. Cucumbers you could plant on there, but there are things that probably wouldn't grow all the way over. It would, would cover a lot of it and give you production as well. If you just want something permanent and green um if and you want something that's just going to go all the way across you could do either tangerine beauty cross vine or confederate jasmine cross vine's a little hardier uh jasmine's more fragrant but they're both beautiful vines um if you wanted something shrub like that will cover a lot of it uh, the Lady Banks Rose, there's a white form and a uh, yellow form. The yellow is sort of a light color. Uh, the nice thing about them is that they're thornless, so you're not going to tear yourself up working around the vegetable garden. Um, the I guess if there are any negatives to them, they only bloom once a year. They bloom in the spring, and they absolutely cover themselves with flowers. Uh, very low maintenance, very attractive, uh, among the hardiest of roses. Uh, I'm sure it's not an issue in your yard, but uh, there were the one rose that deer don't like but um, that would cover a large part of the arch if you planted they'll say put a yellow one at one end and a white one at the other end uh, the plant itself would go at least five or six feet uh, down along and across the arch and uh, you know would just make a would make a very attractive uh, plant more than a vine on either end so those are you know those are a number of your choices uh there are others you can plant passion vines which would freeze down but come back but are very fragrant uh golly there are a number of you know interesting things hyacinth bean uh would grow and cover it but it's going to freeze back every season but they always come back from seed you might end up with a few of them growing in your garden as well but uh those are those are the things that quickly come to mind. Okay. Um, also, we have a lot of grackles, like a lot, like a lot of a lot of grackles, like there's uh-huh. a ton of them. And I'm how? What is something I can plant that would like deter them from coming into my like vegetable garden? We have about five acres, and I want to put an area with other things that they'll be attracted there and not mm-hmm. come and eat. All of my, all of my stuff. <laughs> okay, so you're you're trying to keep the grasses out of your garden. The grackles, grackles, yeah. birds, those blackbirds. Oh, okay, grackles, grackles. I thought you were yeah. saying grasses. Um, oh, it, it's deterring birds is you know, it almost takes a physical barrier. Um, the birds don't go after a lot of things in your garden, just the things that you love, principally tomatoes and uh, a few other things. And you almost have to, you know, you almost have to use something like bird netting or something over those over those few things that they go after. Uh, outside the garden, I mean, you can put up bird feeders, you can plant millets, you can plant things that they will be more attracted to. But keeping them out of the garden is, um, and and you don't necessarily want to keep all of them out of the garden, just the nuisance ones. You, you know, would love to have the songbirds come in because, uh, especially during nesting season, even the 
seed eaters eat a lot of caterpillars, a lot of other damaging insects. So up to a point, birds are your friends. But, um, gosh, the grackles, the starlings, those things are an issue. They're more of a nuisance. They uh, Actually, the thing that eats the most fruit is mockingbirds. And like I say, uh, they go mainly after tomatoes, and you pretty much just have to put some bird netting over the individual cages to keep the mockers out. But uh, okay. um, the others, it's, it's, it's tough to keep them out. I mean, the old-fashioned scarecrow works to some extent. Uh, there are some absolutely obnoxious things that uh, make a sound like a guess a grackling great pain. I was listening to those eating breakfast over at Mama's yesterday morning, and uh, I'm not sure I would never have the birds that have to listen to that. But uh, um, it's it's a tough question. But typically they are seasonal, um, and they don't. There are not a lot of things in your garden they're going to go after. Uh, the ones that you're more going to be concerned about are actually probably mockingbirds. And they only go after a limited number of fruits, limited number of fruits, and uh, um, you can just throw some bird netting over your tomatoes if that gets to be a problem. Okay. Um, last question. I wanted to try the Three Sisters Garden with the corn and the beans and the squash. Mm-hmm. Do you know which, what types of corn, what types of beans, what types of squash work best here in San Antonio to do that? Doesn't re- yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, okay. <laughs> it's uh, um, it's interesting, and of course, corn is a big nutrient robber from the soil. Uh, beans, being legumes, put the put the uh, nitrogen back into the ground. Uh, the squash is kind of uh, neutral as far as what it does. Uh, obviously, you're not going to find the same species that Native Americans planted, but uh, it's an interesting educational tool for your kids and things, but uh, not especially a good way to produce a whole lot in the garden because corn, of course, is uh, wind-pollinated. You have to have a lot of plants close together. Uh, in other words, you never plant one long row of corn or you don't get pollination. You plant several rows very close together so that the wind will pollinate them and you'll get good ears of corn. So uh, pay some attention to what you need to do to grow those three individual plants before you just plant them all in one place. Okay. Okay, that's very helpful. We're trying things, so... Yeah. Well, the corn is the thing that's going to be the biggest challenge. You can't just plant, you know, a row of corn, plant the beans to grow up and plant the squash around it. You'll get no corn when you do that. Uh, so understand what you need to do to get corn to produce well, and that's plant several rows of it pretty close together because it has to be wind pollinated. And you know, those silks that come out on the, on the ear of corn, um, you have to have one pollen grain land on every one, each individual one of those silks to get it to form a kernel of corn. So uh, um, corn is a whole different crop. It's easy to grow. It's hard to keep the raccoons out of, but it has some very specific needs. So be sure you learn those before you plant it. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great questions, Carrie. Good luck with your projects, and I appreciate the call. John, hold on just a second. We need to get a break in here. 
and I get to talk to you about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Boy, how that wind yesterday. But you were a little concerned if you had an old metal roof by a not-so-good company, and especially if you had a shingle roof. Uh, that wind was hard enough yesterday to blow shingles off an old roof, but I didn't worry. We have a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on my home, have one of the roofs on our Shades of Green Nursery. My partner has that roof on her home. Uh, we don't... Uh, we don't worry about weather because we have Southwest Metal Roofing Roofs. They're simply the best in the industry. They are truly lifetime quality roofs. And they're great, too, because they save you money on your energy bill. They're so energy efficient. Most insurance companies will give you a discount on your home insurance when you have one of their roofs on your home or office. Plus, they're just good looking and very reasonably priced. Uh, Southwest Metal Roofing Systems does roof replacement, but they also do new construction. If you're in the process of building a new home, do like we did up in Bernie at the Groundwater District, we told the builder, hey, we want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on this building, and we've never looked back. They're just great roofs. They're very reasonably priced, and they truly will last a lifetime. You have a lot of choices, too, in colors and in the styles that you want. Learn more. Give them a call, 210-822-6868. It's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Uh, back to gardening. It's going to be John, Mark, and Robert. And John is up first. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. How are you doing? Off you to doing? a good start. Beautiful day out there. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you a question, Bob. Okay, I, I had a, a lot of uh, air spading done. Uh-huh. Before. Uh huh. But I was thinking, what should be the next step? Should the, the sick tree treatment? Because, like I say, some of the trees, there's a lot of lot of girdling roots on these trees, and so been having to cut those out. And uh, I, I don't know exactly. I, I know all the not all of them probably, but I know the the um, the components of the sick tree treatment. But right. what is the delivery system? Do you just put them in a band around? The Basically, yeah. Once once you have done what you're doing a good job of doing, exposing the root flare and taking care of girdling roots, then it's just a matter of uh, basically mulching around the tree with the uh, sick tree treatment. You can actually buy it pre-mixed. Uh, if you've got a lot to do, probably be a little cheaper to buy the individual ingredients, which you'll find on uh, DirtDoctor.com. But uh, if you don't need a whole lot of it, uh, the company called Maestro Grow now makes and packages it pre-mixed. It doesn't have the cornmeal in it. Cornmeal, you know, breaks down and goes away, so you probably want to add a little bit of your own whole ground cornmeal to it, but... Uh, uh, it's totally up to you, but no, you would just use that as uh, basically a mulch um, around over um, whatever portion of the root zone of the tree you can cover. Okay, that that would be another question. So, um, how you know? I'm trying to figure out how much I'm going to need because I got about 50 trees uh-huh. <laughs> that are uncovered. So. Uh, you know, most of the directions are given in like, eight, you know, 80, eight pounds per 800 square feet or whatever. Yeah. Um, so how do you break that down into individual trees? Do you go, can yeah. you go by caliper or? You can go by caliper. You can go by the seriousness. Probably what I would go by is, you know, which ones had major root problems, uh, major 
uh, girdling roots around the flare, which ones had relatively minor problems, and obviously the trees that you had to do the most surgery on, so to speak, those are the ones that are going to be most in need. Um, If you look at it critically, probably not all 50 of those trees are going to need anything. You're probably going to... uh, um, you don't be able to just get by with some good fertilizer, maybe a little bit of garret juice, and you'll be giving them everything you need. Uh, my guess, without seeing the trees, is that you know you probably don't have more than ten or twelve trees that you really need to take a lot of action on, and uh, so it get it gets a lot simpler. Um, and it kind of it depends on uh, what what all you want to use. I mean, the garret juice, the um, rock phosphate, the uh, you know all the different things that are in it. I would go tree by tree. I would you know get bags of the material that you need bagged, and basically just mix in a wheelbarrow as you go and do one or two te- one or two trees a day. But the first thing is going to be sort of uh, a triage. Go through the whole group and say. Uh, gosh, this one, we really didn't have to do much of anything except blow the soil back. And on that one, you know, probably nothing but just a, a good treatment with some granular fertilizer and some garret juice is all you're going to need. Uh, one, and we have one here at the nursery we recently had the same thing done on, and uh, we're going beyond the sick tree treatment and using some Super Thrive as well as some other things on it. So uh, you almost almost have to, there, there are a lot of ways you can do it. You can just keep good notes, or what I would probably do is, uh, you know, go down to the hardware store and get three different colors of flagging and, uh, you know, use one color to indicate I don't need to do much of anything to, uh, you know, help this tree, and then a different color to, man, this one needs lots of help, and then you're not trying to redetermine over and over and over which ones uh, you need to spend the most time on. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. I, I, it does. I've got, like I say, I've got pretty much, I bet you, 60 to 75 percent of them was you know too deep and has some type of girdling root anywhere from mm-hmm. three-eighths to an inch and a half uh-huh uh, you know if and again just judge how much cutting they had to do if uh if they just had to do one or two roots nothing more really than a good soaking with garret juice uh, i guess i should ask what kind of trees these are too are they pecans or how did you happen to have so many of them buried or in one area yeah. well no there there was landscape so there's uh there's a different uh, couple of different three kinds of oaks Okay. Cypress, cherry laurels. Uh huh. You know, there's wide a lot of a lot of some of the worst ones I'm having problem with are the hollies. You know, ones that look like Mm -hmm. Christmas tree. Right. Right. This last couple of years, I mean, they really went south, and once we Mm -hmm. started digging around them, they were really had a heavy layer of the gray cloth. You know, yeah. weed cloth, and uh, you know, it had the the drip irrigation lay on top of the drip cloth, and <laughs> I, you know, yeah, some some landscape company really really did a number wrong. How long have they years, been planted? They've been in the ground now, probably about uh, maybe three years going on. Okay. Okay. Well, then it's this is not like things that have been there thirty years that you're really, really messing up. 
Um, again, I would, um, you know, the hollies, uh, and, and you almost have to go by individual plants. The hollies, I would very definitely add some azomite to the mix because they like a lot of iron. Um, things like, oh gosh, cherry laurel or mountain laurel or some of these other things are really pretty hardy plants and you don't really need a whole lot other than uh, fertilizer. I'd probably begin by giving them all just a good soaking of uh uh, maybe put some from two to five gallons around each plant. Uh, I would just mix up uh, garret juice. I would add some Super Thrive to it and start there. And then beyond that, you know, look at the other things. The cornmeal is not going to be as uh, necessary because most of the ones you mentioned don't have fungal problems, and uh, you know they're certainly not susceptible to oak wilt. So uh, just some, you know, some lava sand, some azomite. Um, uh, you know, and and then just go from there, uh, and and just do a tree by tree is probably the best advice I could give you. And you just uh, put the garret juice directly onto the flare and the the. Or, yeah, within just go out maybe five feet from the trunks, and just that's the area that you that you want to douse. Uh, and you're probably going to make, like I say, I'd be doing it in a five-gallon bucket, and I'd probably be putting two or three gallons on each plant. Okay. And one, uh, oh, all right, I better I better stop there. It, it, anyway, thank you, Bob. I appreciate the help. And oh, keep me posted on how the, you, you did it at, you know, absolutely the best time of year. Doing it in the middle of the summer would have been much harder on the plants. Doing it during cold weather. I think you're going to be amazed that most of the plants show no negative effects, and uh, given a year or two, you're going to see a lot of positive results from it, John. Do you do you carry the azomite in the 40-pound bags? We do. We do. I think okay. just about any good nursery will. Uh, okay, I'll have to find one of those other than yours, then, because I, <laughs> I haven't found it so far. Uh, but I will be over uh, probably next week then to get the stuff. You just uh, let us help you any way we can. We'll be happy to do it. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, a couple of interesting but a little bit longer phone calls there, so I need to get a break in here, and then it will be Mark and Robert. And it looks like I get to talk to you about a, a new product. I've known about it for a little while, and it's uh, and I've known about this type of product, but this is the best that I've seen. The product is called Aqualock, and it really reduces the amount of watering that you have to do, like in a vegetable garden or a flower bed, somewhere where you're actually working the soil. And it's a very unique product. It does has a lot of things in there that support the plants. Uh have a lot of things that uh, uh, just are good for plant growth. It uh, contains uh, worm castings, which, of course, have a tremendous number of good things in there, a lot of biostimulants. But perhaps the main thing that it does, it uh, uses a natural fiber source of something we call a hydrophilic colloid that uh, uh, it holds moisture in the soil, but it does it in a good way. You know, you don't want to water too often because the water drives the oxygen out of the soil, and that leads to other problems. But the Aqualock actually holds the moisture in the soil near the roots of the plants without creating any oxygen deprivation and it can really cut down on the number on the frequency of your watering during hot dry weather and of course during cold dry weather as well it can be applied directly to the surface but it works best if it's blended into the soil don't need very much of it a pound will do about a hundred square 
spare feet. Be a great thing to include if you if you're anticipating another hot, dry summer, and that seems like what we have just about every year in Texas. Uh, breaks down slowly over about a year and a half. It's not uh, not influenced by your fertilizing program or anything else. It's called Aqualock. Uh, limited availability. I know you find it at Rainbow Gardens now. You'll probably find it at a lot of other nurseries in the near future. Remember the name, A-Q-U-A-L-O-C-H, Aqualock. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Mark and Robert and Gloria, and Mark is first in line. Good morning, Mark. Yes, sir. I had a question about a box I'm, I'm putting on one of my decks for planting okay. vegetables in. It's yes, six sir. Foot by two and a half foot. Uh-huh. And I got it. I made it out of two by six uh, cedar, not not treated cedar. And my question is, do I need to seal the joints, you know, with the wood? And and also, what type of soil? What am I going to fill it up with? You're basically going to fill it just with a good potting soil. Um, you there's no reason to seal the joints unless they're so wide that you know dirt would flow out through them. And I'm sure you're a little better carpenter than that. Uh, it won't cause any problem at all if water leaches out through them. So um, uh, that's that's not going to be an issue at all. Um, Cedar has, you know, people think of it as being a durable wood, which unfortunately just isn't the case. Uh, it's it's going to rot out for you in uh, just, uh, you know, probably five years or so. So if you want to seal it, uh, you know, Thompson's water seal or something like that, you'll extend the life of it and shouldn't have any impact uh, on what you're growing in there. But uh, you could paint it with uh, some sort of epoxy paint or something like that but if you have wet soil in contact with the cedar uh, it's not going to last as long as you had hoped uh, how deep are you uh, is is your bed uh, uh, three three two by sixes what's it about yeah about, yeah, about 16 and a half inches. Uh, that, that's a great depth for growing just about anything you want to grow. But, uh, no, you really don't have to do anything except uh, fill it with soil. But if you want to make your cedar last longer, again, seal that with something, uh, which will help. And it can be either a, you know, a liquid product uh, like a water seal, can be a paint. Uh, for that matter, could even be roofing tar or something like that. Some people, you know, would actually build or have built for them a sheet metal liner. Of course, then you're dealing with the problem of the zinc. But um, uh, just just seal it in whatever fashion uh, you can. Fill it with good potting soil, and uh, you're off to a good start. Some people would say, well, I'm going to fill the bottom half with gravel so that it gets good drainage. Well, it doesn't really need that. And uh, the more good soil you have in there, the better the root system your plants are going to grow, the better vegetables you're going to grow. So... Uh, uh, you're gonna you're gonna want more of them after you start gardening in that. And uh, Google and look up uh, this type of wood, uh, which is they're gonna change the name of it, but you'll still find it under the name of Eco E C O Eco Vantage. Uh, it's a specially heat treated wood that just doesn't rot. I think you probably get 50 years of life out of it. We've just finished uh, rebuilding a big deck here at the nursery. If you ever come by. 
Uh, we redid a lot of arbors back to where we had originally used cedar, which rotted out after a few years. So uh, uh, you're off to a good start, but uh, take a look at Eco Vantage Wood. Unfortunately, they don't really have a retail outlet, but if you're doing any size project at all, they'll certainly work with you. And uh, it's just the only wood I use anymore. Thank you. And then just drill holes in the bottom, a few holes, right? No yeah, just drill a few holes in the bottom and uh, okay. uh, be sure that, you know, it's not down. What What is, uh, and this? you said this is on your deck, what is your deck built out of? Uh, uh, treated wood. Okay. Yeah, I I would use some little real thin lath strips. Uh, you can probably take, if you've got a leftover two-by piece of cedar, just, you know, shave some uh, quarter-inch thick pieces and just put four or five of them underneath uh, your bed before you fill it, and that'll be sure that, uh, uh, you know, you don't have anything seal up against the wood underneath it and, and keep from draining. Also, having a little air circulating underneath it will keep will help both the deck and your uh, your grow box uh, last longer. Already. Thank you very much. And like I say, it's getting close to planting season, and what you're going to find is just you're going to say, gee, I wish I built six of these, but have fun with it and call me anytime I can advise you on it. It's my pleasure, Mark. Thank you, sir. Uh, next in line is Robert. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, sir. I uh, really like your show. I appreciate uh, that. I, I live in Leon Valley. We had a tidal wave of oak wilt. And I mm-hmm. lost one tree. I had my other trees treated, which I'm glad they were saved. But uh, do I have to worry about it again? Um, they treated with the stuff they inject into the trunks, the propicanazole, probably called, uh, oh gosh, I've forgotten what the common name of it is. But uh, that's the kind of treatment you had done? Yes, sir. Okay. Unfortunately, that doesn't save trees. That just slows down symptoms, and unfortunately, it does not keep it from spreading from tree to tree. Uh, all it does is, you know, the way that oak wilt kills trees is it's a fungus which plugs up the the vessels of the tree, the vascular system of the tree, principally the part that carries water from the roots up to the top of the tree. But it does nothing from the soil level down. So any other trees that may have had roots that fuse together are still likely to get oak wilt, and uh, I don't you know, I don't know if there are other trees close by. It's it's not going to reoccur, so to speak, because you're never really going to be rid of it with the uh, with the Alamo is the name I was trying to think of as common name of the substance that they use. And unfortunately, it usually just adds five to ten years to the life of the trees. I would get on a program, and I probably do it once a year of just putting, depending on the size of the tree, somewhere between 5 and 15 or 20 pounds, and I'd, I'd probably do it two or three times a year, of whole-ground cornmeal. Whole-ground cornmeal grows a beneficial fungus called trichoderma, and uh, the you know Forest Service will not admit that it does anything, even if I take them out to my ranch and show them where I've cured trees and where I've stopped it from spreading in, but uh, it will work to prevent it from spreading any further, and it will actually, uh, you know, hopefully, eventually eliminate the fungus from from those trees. But um, like I say, it's it's a beneficial fungus that grows on the cornmeal called trichoderma, and I'd highly recommend you 
get with the program, probably doing it three or four times a year the first couple of years, and then maybe yearly after that. If you have any other trees or if you have any neighboring uh, trees or property, have any other oak trees within 200 feet of the trees that uh, have have gotten oak wilt, I would certainly treat them preventatively because, uh, uh, like I say, Alamo is not a cure, unfortunately. It just suppresses symptoms at all it does. All it does, it extends the life of your trees, but it does not really eliminate the disease in any way. Well, uh, I think my trees are doing, they're doing pretty good. It was like four years ago when this occurred. Oh, good. Well, um, you're you're. Yeah, and uh, I told I told the neighbors, and one neighbor got her tree treated, and she has a red oak, and uh-huh. she saved that a big red oak. She was able to save that, and uh, but my other neighbors they lost their trees. So I'm kind of like um, uh, one oak tree in the front, big one oak tree in the front with everybody dead on mm-hmm. the side, you know. And um, but uh, but that that cornmeal sounds good. And last year I gave some organic. Um, fertilizer for the trees always good for everything yeah everything is it too early to do that or should i wait a little bit longer no no you can do that anytime and uh her red oak probably didn't actually have a bad case of oak wilt because oak wilt kills red oaks in about two weeks uh very little can be done to save an oak uh once those leaves start doing what we call flaring which is turning brown but hopefully it it has prevented it uh, from, you know, from spreading into that tree. If that tree ultimately dies, the red oak dies, uh, be sure that the wood is burned or destroyed or disposed of immediately because this is one of the bad things about the oak wilt fungus. Uh, it does, it reproduces by making spores, which can be carried from uh, one tree to another to a wound on another tree by some little beetles called nitidula beetles or ambrosia beetles. Um, and these spores form underneath the bark of a tree that's died of oak wilt. They Live oaks do not make any spores whatsoever. Uh, they you, you never get uh, spreadable fungus spores from a, an oak, a, re, a live oak that has died of oak wilt. Perfectly safe to use for firewood or anything else. Unfortunately, if a red oak dies of oak wilt, you get formats, spore mats formed underneath the bark, uh, each one of which can make millions of spores. And uh, this is how the disease gets spread over larger areas. As that tree dies, it forms sort of a sticky substance that's very attractive to these little bees. They come and feed on it. They get spores on their body, and then they fly off to pruning wounds or storm wounds on other oak trees. So um, if that red oak should die, hopefully it won't. But if it does, um, you need to dispose of the wood. Um, it's, uh, it's not safe to use for firewood until it is dried to the point that the wood starts to check, till you start seeing splits in the end of it. Um, so... Uh, educate yourself a little bit further on oak wilt because there's an awful lot to know about it and it is just a devastating disease but uh, the cornmeal uh, again and if you were driving around down 46 uh, up in the hill country you would pass my neighbor's property where there are about 40 dead oak trees in the field against the road and you would come to my property where there's not one single tree that's died of oak wilt and some of my healthy trees are within Oh, 20 or 30 feet of the trees that have died. So I can tell you the cornmeal treatment does work, but um, uh, every situation uh, is individual. 
I would, if you, if it's been four years, you're in good shape. If you see any sign of reoccurrence before you pay somebody to treat, uh, there's a gentleman named David Vaughn. He's an outstanding arborist. He has nothing to sell you. He's strictly a consultant. Uh, he worked hard in the industry, and when he got to a certain age, he said, I don't have to work this hard anymore, but he's the smartest man I know when it comes to both oak wilt and general uh, arbicultural questions and uh, he's very reasonable. You, you might call him and have him come give you an, an assessment of what the best way to move forward will be. But for now, you know, uh, congratulate yourself on what you've done. Watch very carefully the leaves that drop uh, from the trees. If you see uh, the, there's a very distinctive leaf pattern in a tree that has active oak wilt. And, you know, everybody knows about this problem called chlorosis, where uh, the leaf remains green, but the, or the, where the leaf gets light color, but the veins remain dark green. Oak wilt creates something uh, that is just the opposite. The leaves themselves will look dark green, but when you look at the veins in the leaves, they will turn from yellow to red to brown. It's called venal necrosis. And look very careful. The, oak, uh, the live oaks are just getting ready to shed their leaves. And uh, go tree by tree and look very carefully and be sure you don't see that in the leaves. If you do see that, you may want to get some further treatment for that particular tree. Okay. And um um, is it too late to use that orange oil on the yard? Um, orange oil and vinegar will kill any green foliage. Uh, as long as your grass hasn't, your permanent grass hasn't started to green up, still a great time to use it on dandelions and, you know, bed straw and all the little weeds that are trying to come up. But you just have to judge by your principal grass, uh, whether it's Bermuda or Zoysia or St. Augustine. If your good grass is starting to green up, then you will do some damage to it as well. So, uh, most of the lawns that I look at, there is not greening up yet. Okay, and what's uh, the backyard? It's it's like a desert. Uh, what what's a good uh, grass to get? Uh, Sun or shade. Partial shade. The only partial grass shade. that's going to, you know, the only grass that's going to do in partial shade is St. Augustine. People may tell you as always you will, but it'll always be thin and you'll be disappointed in it. Uh, uh, about the only real turf grass is going to be St. Augustine. The two best varieties, one of them is called Palmetto. The other is called Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R. Um, and look at ground covers, look at things that you might do other than just solid grass. But if you need grass back there for kids or grandkids or pets, uh, either Palmetto or Delmar St. Augustine are going to be most successful for you. Okay. Okay, well, um, enjoy your information, and thanks for the help. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. Uh, let's get a, uh, a, a break in here, and then we'll be back and start with Gloria. Looks like I get to talk to you about Wild Birds Unlimited, and, oh, that's such a great store. I love visiting there. They're located out in the shopping center at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, kind of on the side that faces Northwest Military. But if you're into birding, you better get out there. They've got the food you need. They've got the feeders you need, hoping to attract purple marks. Well, you better get those houses up soon because the so-called scouts, uh, mated pairs, are already in the area. They have everything related to birding. They have ways to uh, they even have seed mixes that will deter the doves. It would be great 
for your songbirds. Uh, they have all kinds of beautiful things for your yard as well, not related to birding, between wind chimes and sun catchers and, well, bird baths. Birds uh, always need water, and there's some very, very decorative bird baths and fountains that you'll find at Wild Birds Unlimited. They have the wild bird seed that uh, repels the squirrels and raccoons, too. And the best thing they've got is knowledge. Kyle and his staff can tell you, answer just any question you might have about nature or birding in general. It's just a fun store to visit. It's where I do actually most of the gift shopping that I do for friends. I do it out at Wild Birds Unlimited because I can always find things that they love. Check it out. See what I'm talking about. If you got any questions, give them a call. 479-BIRD is the phone number, 210-479-BIRD. Get out and see my friends at Wild Birds Unlimited. All right. Well, that long uh, commercial break took us right up against the news. That comes up in about 15 seconds. Right after the news, we start with Gloria and then move on to talk to you. If you want to give me a call, you know the number, 210-599-5555. Beautiful Sunday morning out there. Lots of sunshine and beginning to warm up. It's KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening on an absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning out there. I hope you're doing well. Looks like we are going to talk to uh, Gloria and Tana and Don, are my next three callers. Uh, Let's just get started. Uh, Gloria's first in line. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Um, Good morning. I want to to prevent the squash vine borer this year. So if I put a row crop cover... Uh, material on squash and zucchini. Do I leave it on all season? Um, most of what you're going to use as a as a cover crop uh, is if you use the cool weather things, they're going to die out in the summer. If you use the warm weather things, they're going to die out in the winter. So, yes, you can leave it on all season or not. Uh, the most important thing, in my opinion, uh, to do is to spray all around the garden with beneficial nematodes. Best thing you can possibly do is kill off the larvae uh, that, you know, um, uh, or the eggs that are in the soil and the early stages of the larvae before they try to get into the plants. And the beneficial nematodes are about the only thing I know that really does that. Uh, problem is squash vine borers can fly in from the neighbors. The moth that, you know, lays the egg can't, that can do that. So the other thing that I do if I see any sign, and, and when you look where the squash comes up out of the ground, You'll normally see the stem almost looks a little shredded. This is where the vine borer has laid the eggs, where the larvae have started developing inside of the vine. I actually inject the stems with BT. Uh, the crooknecks uh, have almost a hollow stem. It's real easy. The zucchinis have a, a more solid stem, and you usually have to inject uh, two or three, four places there. But uh, that's the one follow-up I would think about doing. But uh, I think the beneficial nematodes are going to have much more impact than anything you're growing on your cover crops. And really, it doesn't matter whether you pull them out or leave them as far as what it's going to do for the vine borers. Okay. And one other thing, um, I usually have a problem later in the season with spider roots. Is there an organic, systemic insecticide for vegetables? For, for which kind of insect problem? 
Spider mites. Oh, spider mites. Uh, the best thing you can do for spider mites is through the growing season, spray your plants every couple of weeks with liquid seaweed. Uh, it toughens the leaves to where the mites simply can't get after things. And uh, uh, main things I fight spider mites on are tomatoes and beans and uh, sometimes on peppers. But uh, uh, liquid seaweed, two tablespoons per gallon, will be the very best preventative, preventative you can use. If you get the mites of uh, spinosad is probably our best miticide and it also will take care of the stink bugs that tend to come around but uh, you can go a long way toward keeping the plants healthier and toughening them up to where the spider mites simply can't cause the problems with liquid seaweed. I, I actually make a mixture I use for every gallon of spray I use two tablespoons liquid seaweed one tablespoon molasses and uh, it really keeps things going strong um, without without spider mites well i did that last year and i still got them of course it was late in the season and by then i yeah. was probably tired of tomatoes but, well uh, and last year was last year systemic. yeah no anything systemic okay. would get into your fruit which you really don't uh which you don't want to be consuming so okay. yeah the systemic poisons okay. uh can't use on edible crops. One other thing, and you probably already know this, but for the benefit of other listeners, uh, if squash vine borers get to be just, you know, a, a horrible problem, there are squash that have a slender stem, things like the so-called tatumi or calabacita, and most of your winter squash don't get the vine borers because the stem is much more slender than it is on the zucchini and the crooknecks and the patty pans, things like that that we grow. So I always include a few of those in case we end up just with a really bad year for vine borers. Okay, great. Well, I'll give it a try. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Thank you for the call. Let's talk to Tana next. Good morning, Tana. Hey, good morning, sir. Good morning um, to you. <laughs> my discussion this morning is going to probably send some of the people to Wild Birds Unlimited. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, they have a tube feeder that has a quick release to clean the bottom out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, you push two little buttons on each side, the bottom right. comes out, and uh, and then you just, I use a bottle brush, you know, old-fashioned, I guess they originally made them for baby bottles or something, <laughs> and that's, that's not a part of my life, other than feeding the occasional calf or something, but uh, uh, yeah, that, that little quick-release catch uh, sure makes it easy to clean them. Well, the thing of it is, you can take that quick-release catch off. Mm-hmm the bottom off and replace it with a tray that has a cage around it oh okay i think the cage is supposed to deter squirrels i'm not positive it's i've i've had this arrangement for several years now uh-huh. and the thing of it is uh i needed shorter ones so the real nice young fellow that okay I'm in my 80s. Everyone else is a young fellow. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they trimmed the cage to where it would fit the seat, the size feeder I wanted. Oh, good. And it deters white wing dove. Uh-huh. I had a problem out here with the dove coming in, and they would just uh, strip the seed. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, nothing flat. Yep. Well, the, uh, this will deter the larger red wing blackbirds and the field blackbirds. I know there's two or three different uh, types of field blackbirds. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean, I think. So it uh, helps to deter the. It is so funny to watch the blackbirds trying to get in there. <laughs> it's kind of like watching a squirrel trying to get into one of the squirrel-proof ones, but uh, uh, it sounds like a great solution. And, yeah, we call those white wings flying chickens, and uh, they, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, they... I, the only thing good I can say about them is they taste pretty good if you harvest them during dove season. But, uh, no, they're not any friend of someone feeding the birds, that's for sure. The other thing that we've done to deter them in the past is get one of those domes that goes over the top, and you just drop it down lower, and the songbirds go in underneath it. But it sounds like your system's even better. It um, it provides a lot of bird watching humorous bird watching <laughs> the adults will bring their young uh-huh they try to learn how to go through the bars which is done pretty quick but mm-hmm. as i said it uh it helps with the red-winged blackbirds and it helps with the uh <laughs> the dove chickens <laughs> well you're mighty kind to share that with us and i really appreciate it tana okay no, bye <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, let's go ahead and take one more call before we take a break, and that would be Don. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. You're advertising the Aqualock. What yes, is uh-huh. that? What is in it? Uh, yeah, it is, you know uh, uh, well, they, uh, they, the things that help, there's some good biostimulants, there's some worm castings, uh, there's some natural products like that. The uh, gel, the hydrophilic colloid that actually holds the water, is uh, derived from some natural cellulose sources, including, among other things, banana peels. I don't know. Uh, next time I see, uh, you know, the, I don't know if he's a lieutenant or a captain. Anyway, it's a veteran uh, uh armed services fellow who started the company and uh, lives up in Bernie but uh, I'll ask him if he can give me a more complete list but it's it's all natural it's uh, and, and like I say I remember banana peels just because that's a humorous thing but it's all natural it breaks down over a period of about a year and a half so it doesn't have anything like shredded diapers in it I would not think so in fact I virtually guarantee you that's not in there for sure there because i'm trying to talk to my neighbor about it because we're growing inside a big greenhouse and mm-hmm. uh trying to figure out how to you know to do everything we're cutting cutting down on water because uh when you're talking whales that are only 85 feet deep it's a little harder to deal with with water mm like mine <laughs> yeah it's uh we've got to be conservative uh talk to them about rainwater catchment too that's going to be the water of the future i tell anybody building in the hill country the day's going to come when it's you're going to be very limited in what you can get out of the ground and rainwater is a very viable option and uh if you're growing in a greenhouse i'd you know even even a few hundred gallons can make a difference and if you've got a hard roof on it you've got the potential to put up gutters and collect some rainwater but uh yeah, I'm with you 100%. We've got to do everything we can to conserve water, even in the years when we get good rainfall. Okay, next question is, if you got the time, is what's the best, what's the best nitro boost you can put in 
right now to start developing nitrogen in? Uh, it just needs to be something that uh, where the nitrogen is in what we call a cation form, something that has a positive charge. It's going to be basically ammoniacal products if you're looking for something that's reasonably uh, fast release and of course you know in encouraging the microbes in the soil to make the uh, nutrients more available to the plants um, anything that helps you know helps with that will help the plants the other thing that you can do is uh, and I don't recommend it exclusively but do a little bit more foliar feeding uh, because that gets it into the plants faster. You don't want to go exclusively to foliar feeding or your plants won't develop a good root system. But um, uh, you don't ever want nitrogen alone. You get you know very soft, succulent growth. You want, you want a controlled, slow-release nitrogen, and you want to pair that up with something like azomite or something that's going to provide all the micronutrients so that you don't get uh, a non-productive burst of growth. But most any of you good organic fertilizer, and if you read, most of the nitrogen in those will be in the cation form. The beauty of cations, uh, which means they're attracted to a positive, uh, uh, I'm sorry, they're attracted to a negative uh, something in the soil, such as lava sand or some of these other things that bind and hold the nitrogen there. But uh, um, I, I would say if you want to speed up growth, I would, I would go with some foliar feeding as well. And um, uh, be sure you're backing it up with uh, with the minerals they need and not just a pure nitrogen source. Uh, another thing that provides pretty fast-release nitrogen is blood meal. And uh, it's uh, good at repelling um, varmints of all sorts, rats and squirrels and even raccoons. So blood meal would be a, a good, fairly fast-release source of nitrogen for you, and it brings a lot of iron along as well. What about Medina? What are they selling? Because we normally go over there every year. Yeah, uh, Medina's. We normally yeah. buy totes. <laughs> well, and that's that's going to be as good as you can do. Uh, Stewart has a great combination. Uh, there are a lot of things actually in there that I'm not supposed to talk about because they're not listed on the label. But let's just say you would probably find mycorrhizal fungi and a few other things if you were to do a real analysis. But he probably puts in the best micronutrient package uh, that I know of. So yeah, I don't think you're going to do any better than his, uh, um, you know, his dry fertilizer, the growing green. And, uh, you can, you can save some money buying it in half ton or one ton totes. That's for sure. If you're doing a big area. Yeah. All right. I know you're right up against the clock again. Thank you very much, Bob. Always a pleasure, Don. Thank you for the call this morning. Do have some open lines? Grab one of them if you'd like, 210-599-5555. I get to talk to you about Dr. Mark Williamson. Oh, just a, a man among men, a dentist among dentists. You know, you hear you hear about all these specialists on the radio that are wanting you to come to them for that this particular dental problem or that particular dental problem. Dr. Williamson is so broadly trained that he can take care of virtually any dental issues that you have. He's happy. Well, he's probably happiest is that all he has to do is arrange a good cleaning of your teeth. But if you have complex dental problems, he's the guy you want to go to. Most dentists will just refer it out to someone 
someone else, but Dr. Williamson can handle virtually any dental problem you have right there in his chair. And if you have some apprehension about dental work, he practices sedation dentistry. He and Dr. Staffel pioneered a lot of the techniques that are used today by, well, dental clinics all over the world. Dr. Williamson's just a great man, too. He's not looking forward to the next patient. He's not trying to see how many patients he can see in a day. He's focused on you and your dental issues. And, you know, he wants to know you. <laughs> it's just it's one of those friendly, caring offices you will ever go into. Find out what I'm talking about. If you're new to the area, if you're looking for a good dentist, you really need to check out Dr. Williamson & Associates out on Cherry Ridge Drive, which is uh, just north of 410, just east of uh, I-10, out in that little northwest corner. Easy to find, easy to get to. Phone number is 341-2569, 210-341-2569 for the offices of Dr. Williamson and Associates. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Looks like the ladies segment right now. It is going to be Kathy and Cynthia and Suzanne. Kathy's first in line. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, have a situation. Our granddaughter uh, lives in Bernie in town, and uh, she's on a corner lot, so she's got quite a bit of uh, property there. Uh, Mm -hmm. During the uh, stage four and all the restrictions, all of her St. Augustine died off. Um, and she ha- in the backyard especially, we want to try to do something to reestablish an area where her two medium-sized dogs can get out there and <laughs> run and use the bathroom. <laughs> there he is. So uh, uh, right now, she uh, it looks like a bunch of Johnson grass. I'm not, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. It's been a long time since I saw all that uh, yeah. as a kid. But uh, uh, our granddaughter wants to have somewhere where the dogs can play and use bathroom and, and all that stuff. So is there any suggestion you have? We, we had thought about just during the winter putting some of the, the short-growing rye seed down, mm-hmm. but unfortunately she's she's got some um, major health issues and we sure, were tied up sure. with medical needs for that. Uh, and so we didn't get it down. I don't think in time. Is there something we can do that would be fast growing and uh, and is is this this area shade or sun? All sun. All sun. Um, There are things you can do. Are there things that are fast growing? Not really. the 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 problem is, of course is still pretty chilly and you, your best grass out there if you want real grass um, best grass you can possibly plant is Bermuda and if you want the toughest of the Bermudas it would be one of the TIFF T I F F TIFF variety TIFF green TIFF way uh, they're TIFF 419. There are a bunch of different ones. This is what they use on golf greens, which get high traffic. It's uh, um, probably the most durable grass you can get. Now, unfortunately, uh, you can't plant seed for it. You have to use squares of existing grass. If you can afford to lay it in solidly, you know, just one square butted up against the other, that sort of creates instant yard. Uh, If cost is an issue, you can, you know, buy the sod, cut it up into smaller pieces, say four by four or six by six pieces, and kind of checkerboard it in. I wouldn't do either um, 
until the soil warms up a little bit, and who knows when that's going to be. I mean, uh, I was 29 outside of Bernie this morning, and yet it's supposed to be 80 degrees several days this coming week. So uh, time is not far away. Um, you can grow common Bermuda from seed, but it's a little slow, and uh, like I say, you can't do it until the soil warms up. How many square feet would you say this area that she wants to plant is, or, or give me an approximate size? Well, what we we were going to do uh, possibly cross fence uh, the area mm-hmm. just to get the dogs the ability to. Right now, she's putting them out in the front yard and sure. um, in a, a smaller area. But unfortunately, that also all the St. Augustine died off too right. there, so right. they're tracking mud back in and everything. But it's a smaller area where she doesn't have to, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. she's a. Paraplegic, so she can't go out there and round them up. She has sure, to sure. You know, rely on them to come back on their own. But, <laughs> right. Uh, we were trying to, we were thinking about if we crossed off some of the area in the backyard mm-hmm. and just made like maybe a 500 square foot area initially and then almost to be able to grow one side a little bit better. <laughs> you're you're way ahead of me. That's exactly what I was going to suggest, and I would leave it, you know, kind of cross-fence, too. This is the same thing we do in agriculture, and it's called rotational grazing. I guess she's going to call it rotational playing. But um, <laughs> because, you know, two dogs are going to wear the grass down unless they're little chewinies or something that aren't real dogs. I don't mean that to insult them, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a lab and golden retriever person, so I like bigger dogs. But they're going to wear the grass down no matter what and if you have it divided into two or even three areas where you can let one grow and uh you know and let them play on the other just keep moving them around in the yard the dogs will love it uh kids will love it and uh it'll it'll pretty much solve the problem but um and if to really to really get grass in a hurry um you almost have to either solid sod it or you know put in some pretty good sized squares and let it grow together uh once we get where the night temperatures are probably 60 or above uh it's going to be a real good time to do it i recommend uh um oh there's a place out uh it's over toward uh, Bulverde. um thomas stone and landscape has about the best grass i know of i don't think you're going to find anybody any closer to bernie that will have it but uh that's that's going to be the best natural solution um i will tell you what dr kirby did with his yard our best veterinarian best veterinarian i've ever known he actually put in plastic grass. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a big fan of plastic grass, but it is amazing how realistic it looks. If you're driving down the street, you would swear it's real grass. The early early varieties of plastic grass were just darn ugly, but uh, I, it's it's a viable option, and uh, you know people who love pets have done it. Uh, uh, matter of fact, I have another friend from Bernie who was having a mud problem where her labs raced down the porch and where they hit the ground jumping off the porch. She said there's absolutely mm-hmm. nothing to do. Uh, she couldn't do anything about the mud there. And, you know, some of the artificial turf, you know, solved the problem. You want to get the right stuff. Uh, it has really improved over the years. The early AstroTurf gave football players cancer. Sad story there. But there are some much better things out there now. And considering that she uh, is limited in her ability to get out and around, it may be a realistic uh, 
it may be a realistic option. Uh, somewhere I have written down the name of the company that he used if you decide you want to explore that. But if you want natural grass, I'd be looking at one of the TIF Bermudas, and I'd be waiting until it warms up a little bit before you plant it. Okay. And then just to keep down on, uh, we did uh, at our place, uh, we had some in the back uh, portion of our property, uh, just a natural Bermuda that was coming mm-hmm. up on its own in basis. Yeah. Uh, but we have some. Uh, we have a lab, and there was a, a trigger. <laughs> yeah, <issues>. yeah. <laughs> spray like three. <laughs> spray spray three or four times a year with cedar oil. Um, okay. And you can get that at any nursery. Probably find it. Uh, I don't know. We've got a new nursery up there in Hill Country. African violets has been there forever. But uh, if you're if you're in Bernie, but uh, uh, cedar oil. I think Nature's Creation package is probably the best one. Uh, used to be a, a fellow, unfortunately, he's passed away that uh, was responsible for all the little league uh, ball fields over in Bandera. And Bodie said that uh, I think he sprayed three times a year, and his kids never got chiggers. Uh, before that, it was just an you know an itching nightmare. But uh, right. totally natural, won't hurt your lab, won't hurt uh, anything else. But uh, the cedar oil, I don't know whether it kills them or repels them, but uh, it really does solve the chigger problem. Okay, and just one uh, more quick question uh, on the uh, uh, tip grasses. Is that uh, preferable to a St. Augustine grass that, that holds up really well with the dog? It's a tougher grass, and it is more drought tolerant, and you were mentioning water issues. Um, uh, it, you know, I love St. Augustine. It will never have chiggers. That's one of the real benefits of it. But if you've got two good-sized dogs plus some kids playing on it, uh, the tiff is going to be the tougher grass. Now, in the shade, you have no choice. It has to be St. Augustine. But uh, the tiff uh, is going to be more tolerant of both human and canine foot traffic. Uh, the front yard, where it's full sun, I probably seed with either uh, Bermuda grass or, you know, even one of the native grass blends if you don't plan to mow it real often. But uh, I think common Bermuda is going to be your best choice out there unless you have just an unlimited budget. And... Uh, um, it's you know very water conservative and uh, very drought tolerant. If it have to stop watering it, then it browns out, but it doesn't die. It'll come back uh, first time we get water or rain. Okay, in her front yard, she does have kind of a, a probably about a six to eight inch diameter uh, live oak tree, mm-hmm. and but, but we've pruned it uh, over the last several years to where the lower hanging branches. Uh, are probably about uh, significantly higher to where we can walk under it when we mowed or, or sure well and in that. under that i'd i would encourage her to look at a ground cover like asiatic jasmine or even a bed of uh, drought tolerant perennials i mean it's a big mistake in my opinion to have wall-to-wall grass it's just too much water and too much work but uh in an area like that this combination of shade and sun you could do something very attractive there um, without any more maintenance at all. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. Always a pleasure, Kathy. Appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. All right, let's get a break in here. Then it'll be Cynthia and then Suzanne. Looks like I get to talk to you about Medina Agriculture. And 
Again, one of my favorite subjects because Medina does it right in so many different ways, and they have for over 60 years now. Medina makes some high, high quality fertilizers like their Growing Green, their liquid products like the Has to Grow, both uh, Has to Grow Plant and Has to Grow Lawn. I love the new liquid fish blend. I alternate that with Has to Grow Plant in my greenhouse with just amazing results. If you're trying to soften your soil up, the original Medina Soil Activator works very well. The Medina Plus, which is Soil Activator, plus liquid seaweed works even better and if you're looking for high quality things like liquid seaweed molasses orange oil medina packages the best of the best many other products for uh, big agricultural use uh, products for your septic system can't begin to tell you about all the different products so if you want to see those simply go to medinaag.com if you want to see all the things you need to use around your home just visit a good nursery or garden center find products from medina agriculture South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Uh, Let's see, Cynthia had to, I mean, uh, Suzanne apparently had to drop off. So it's going to be Cynthia, Ben, and Elizabeth. Cynthia's next. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. Um, Can you hear me? I hear you loudly and clearly. Okay, great. Um, I am trying to identify a ground cover that I saw when I was walking this past week. And I live in the north of San Antonio, and there's a lot of deer in our neighborhood. And so Uh um, the deer had not eaten it, and it must be evergreen because it didn't freeze this year. (laughs) So it was about a foot tall, I guess, and the most mature leaves... They were they were kind of flat and broad. It was about maybe an inch and a half wide and about two inches long, and it was starting to have some little blue flowers on it. And um, so I'm trying to figure out what that is because I might need to get some of that. Inch and a half wide and two inches long blue flowers, and golly, that doesn't ring any. Bells. Uh, uh, there's a ground cover I love that the deer don't like uh, that's called uh, dwarf plumbago. It's not really a plumbago, but it freezes and goes away in the winter. Um, yeah, I was real surprised with what this was because it didn't freeze. And, yeah. and I was like, what is that? So, well, the more, you know, the, the leaves were smaller toward the end. You know, like mm-hmm. you could see it. I don't know if it was kind of creeping or what it what it was but um the more mature on the bottom seemed to be kind of a little bit bigger you know and Um, flowers are large or small um i would say um well they weren't they weren't like little tiny they were a little bit bigger um maybe about an inch okay Golly, and how because big is it? see them from the road. I didn't want to go up in their yard. <laughs> well, most people are highly like complimented. from the yeah. road, and they were individual. They wasn't like clumps kind of thing of the flowers or anything. You know, I'm going to have to ask you if you can to take a picture of it and send it. That just that just doesn't ring a bell for... Uh, that, that, that's uh, fine, because it really stumped me as well, so... I, when what, I walk this week, I will, I'll make sure I go the same direction and take a okay. picture because and, and what I want to find something that doesn't freeze. Um, sure. 
you know, with the weather that we've had. And yeah. it seemed like, which was very interesting also, is that the area where I saw it, there was some shade but some sun. So mm-hmm. it seemed like it does okay and like when it gets maybe a lot of sun during the summer. I mean, obviously it was doing well from the summer we had last year and from the winter sure. we had. And I was like, wow, what is that? So, and what, okay. what season does it bloom? Was this warm weather, well, cool weather? it's starting to bloom now. I just saw some blue flowers on it just this week. And so okay. um, I don't know if it blooms more often. I don't remember seeing it before. It just kind of caught yeah. my attention that, you know, it, you know so much of the – yards are just kind of frozen back and everything mm-hmm. right now and they haven't come out and i thought oh that lasts through the winter i want to find yeah. something like that well the thing that it sounds most like to me is something we call katie ruelia but it normally freezes down and comes back out it almost becomes a weed there's a tall form and a low form um that uh that fairly well fits that description um but uh, Evolvulus, all the, you know, uh, look up, there's a plant called Evolvulus. If they found one way to, uh, and they, the common name of that is Blue Days, D-A-Z-E. But, uh, again, that oh, normally. You know, you know, I have some Blue Days, and these leaves were much larger than that. Okay. I have some Blue Days, and it does freeze back, and if I mulch yeah. around there, it, it comes back. And, mm-hmm. and I love that. But no. it's much. The, the leaves are much bigger than a blue days. Well, I tell you, I will uh, talk to my staff around here and take a picture if you can. I'd love to love to figure it out because it you know sounds like a sounds like a versatile plant we need to use more of. But uh, that's what I was thinking. So, who do, where do I send that picture? How do I do that? You could send it to us here at the nursery. Um, Okay. Uh, I don't. I'm not usually the one that uh, sees it, unless you can just want to mail it to 334 West Sunset Road. Um, we don't. You know, we spend too darn much time on the internet anyway. So why don't you call and uh, we'll give you a okay. website. You might be able to send it to if you prefer to do it that way. But I'm uh, intrigued. <laughs> there and yeah, I, there are not too. many plants that I okay, haven't well, seen one place or another. You, <laughs> well, it it happens, and I'm free to admit it. But uh, um, gosh, it, it I'd really really like to figure out what it is. But uh, think you'd need to see it in order to try to give you better idea on that one well i might even come into the nursery uh with a picture or i might even go up to their front door and ask if i could have a little a little cut yeah of it just a little there. a little cut off the end well i would love to see it either way and uh i really do appreciate your call this morning anything else i can try to help you with <laughs> no that's it that's it i was just looking for a good good hearty ground cover thank you so much i appreciate well it. we'll do our best to help you figure it out all right uh ben and elizabeth will be next but first i need to talk to you about our friends at uh Fanix nursery and garden center love talking about Fanix because you know they've been around 85 years now old grandpa eddie Fanix knew him briefly toward the end of his life and god he lived to be an old man but uh it just runs in the blood of the Fanix family they they are true plantsmen. They're in the business. Well, it's, it's their profession, but also because they simply love plants. You talk to Mark or Mike or even the fourth generation getting started now, and you'll see what I mean. They have uh, great things going on right now. They've got a big sale going on house plants through the rest of February with uh, 30% off the price of everything they have out there in house plants. They also have uh, 40 varieties of tomatoes, 20 varieties of peppers, all sorts of things to go out in your vegetable garden. Fruit trees. 
trees, even the multi-grafted fruit trees. They've got citrus, they've got grapes, they've got berries. And, of course, they carry things besides plants, too, like the Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories, plus the Eco lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment. Some new things, some things I hadn't even heard about yet that the Eco is doing these days. So today or any day, only major holidays are the time they're closed over at Fanix, located over in Home Green, over on Home Green Road, just off South WW White, right where they've been for 85 years. What you can do if you want to see about upcoming events and things like that is simply go to their website at Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Ben, Elizabeth, and Elisa. Ben is up first. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Hey, I've got to... I've got a front yard, have a St. Augustine grass. Uh, for the past couple seasons, um, uh, it's bare along the curb mm-hmm. uh, by the street. Right. And I, I know it's real hot there and it's real dry. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that I may have chinch bugs. I doubt it. I think yeah, I think hot and dry is probably the solution. If you want to check for chinch bugs, uh, take a metal can, a soup can or something like that, press it down into the grass and fill it with water. If you have chinch bugs, they'll come floating up to the surface. Uh, chinch okay. bugs are uncommon in San Antonio. They're more a coastal problem. And uh, I, I'm not going to rule them out totally, but I see you know, 50 cases of grub worms or probably 500 cases of grub worm damage for every chinch bug problem that I see. And the fact that it's occurring just along that that one strip tells me it's probably not grubs. It could be chinch bugs, and you can certainly check for it. Uh, Beneficial nematodes will very definitely control them just as it does, just as they do uh, grub worms. But uh, I think that hot and dry... um, is probably uh, and you know we've had two very brutal summers last summer was probably from a people and a plant perspective the worst summer i've seen in a lot of years so i i think that's probably what it is i think probably the best way to deal with it would be a thin layer of compost over as much of your yard as you can afford it especially over that area and, uh, and I do recommend putting out uh, beneficial nematodes periodically for grubs and other issues. And if you hit that area, you, you won't have to worry about uh, chinch bugs either. But I, I think little fertilizer and a lot of compost is going to be the thing that's going to help that area more than anything and help it through if we get another hot, dry summer. Okay. Yeah, you know, I put a, a sprinkler system in. Uh, it's been mm-hmm. there for years, and so I watered a lot. And last year... I did put compost and, uh, um, you know, the black cow, uh, mm-hmm. cow manure uh, dirt. I put that on there uh, along this area, and uh, it, it didn't seem to help. Well, it's, uh, again, if you could have checked the soil temperature out in that area, it's probably 140, 150 degrees. That's absolutely the hottest place in your yard. And uh, when we get 110 degrees air temperature, uh, nothing's really going to help that much. I um, Again, I'd, I'd love to see it, see a sample if you have any reoccurrence of it. 
but um, use use the uh, beneficial nematodes. We normally make the first application sometimes in March or April when the June bugs start to show up. Uh, I don't. It, it'll keep you from having grub worm problems, but it'll also totally take care of chinch bugs at the same time, and we can at least okay. eliminate that from the potential cause. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, you must have this. Must be a fairly wide area because I know the city uh, really does everything they can to keep you from being able to water that little, you know, spot out there between the uh, sidewalk and the street. My friends at SA Rainmaker put a lot of, you know, subsurface drip in those areas because a lot of places the city won't let you put sprinkler systems out there. So we'll just keep that our little secret, and I wouldn't talk about it too much. Okay. Yeah. The uh, also in the front yard, you know, I have a big uh, red oak and a big uh-huh. white oak tree, uh, but uh, you know, it still gets hot uh, yep. along the curb there. So, uh, just been scratching my head for a couple, three years now, trying to figure out how to get the well, grass to grow. Well, if it reoccurs, bring us some pictures or bring us a little sample of the grass, and we'll do our very best to help you figure it out. But. Uh, it sounds a lot more like hot and dry, and it's a hard area to actually water effectively because the soil gets so compacted out there, and that's why the compost usually helps. A little bit of Medina Soil Activator or Medina Plus would also help, but I think if you would uh, go out there, Howard Garrett uses a tool that he you know, made from an old golf club shaft that he uses to poke down into the soil looking for rocks and things like that, but it's a great way to you know, tell how hard the soil is. And at some point, you might use something like that and just compare the compaction of the soil in that area to what you have in the rest of your yard, and that could be very telling. Okay. All righty. Will do. Thank you. You're sure welcome, Ben. I sure appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Uh, let's talk to Elizabeth next. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning. Uh, about dirt? Um, hardened in brand new store your phone's really cutting out on you I'm only getting about a third every third word move to somewhere with a little bit of reception okay can can you hear me now that's much better much better yes Uh, okay (laughs) back to back to dirt (laughs) okay I'm wondering if I'm using dirt that nothing has ever grown in. If I need to buy an inoculant, if I'm direct seeding in it. No, absolutely not. Inoculant only works on certain legumes. And, um, you know, there's what have you tried growing in that dirt before or what has potentially been there before? I don't even I don't even have it. So it'll be coming direct from the soil yard and okay. i wanted to get some uh, some sugar snap peas started okay um, you're cutting out again i heard sugar snap peas there? started yeah sugar snap peas uh, yeah. and then what oh uh the rest is probably going to be uh, squash and chard and okay tomatoes yeah. Now, sugar snap peas would benefit from an inoculant, but I don't. I don't know that it'd be worth buying just for that one crop. I would. Uh, I would amend your soil with plenty of compost. Uh, I would add some azomite. 
Uh, you might actually add a little lava sand if you want a whole more moisture in there. But uh, compost and uh, compost would probably be one of the most important things if you want to help with uh, not having to water so often in the summer. This relatively new on the market product called Aqualock. Uh, would be something since it's going to be a fairly small area a pound of it does like a hundred square feet and since you're actually bringing the soil in where you can blend it in that would very definitely cut down on how often you have to water it in the summer months so yeah there are things that you can certainly add um, azomite I would always I always add it uh, whenever I'm getting ready to plant anything because of all the nutrients that it brings in but beyond that just some good organic fertilizer and you're going to have an outstanding garden well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and you had this is a good sunny area, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's great. It's well, great. I yeah. you know I think you're uh, I think you're going to be surprised at how well you do. Uh, if you're ever over in our area, we've got a little free guide we'll give you as to our recommended planting dates and what goes from seed, what goes from plants. I know Fanix has the same thing. I need to get theirs and look at it sometime. But uh, Better Nurseries are uh, able to provide you with a lot of information at no charge. And if you just, you know, watch your planting dates, if you space things properly, if you thin um, you know, many of the little things like radishes and carrots and beets and things like that. Uh, no reason you can't feed your family in half the neighborhood. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I've I've gardened all my life, but I've never had a, a brand new, really big, really sunny place. So well, I'm looking forward to it, and I, I've never used any inoculants, but I've read something right well only yeah only the only the uh, legumes are the only thing that really benefit from an inoculant um i just my advice to you would be you're very fortunate do not let weeds get started if you see any bermuda grass if you see and you may be surprised what grows when you start adding water to this area but uh keep those weeds under control from day one don't ever have to get out of hand or you'll be fighting for the rest of your life and bermuda grass is the worst of the worst but but uh, I think you're going to do extremely well with it. And anything we can do to support you, we'll sure be happy to. Well, thank you very much. A little other question. You told or send you a picture. And I wonder, how do we send you pictures? Um, call sometime, and uh, we, we just, again, I can't spend any more time in front of a computer than I already do, so don't really want to give something out over the air, but give us a call and tell us what you're doing, I and we'll, we'll see if we can point you toward a way to get it to us. Right. And uh, right. I appreciate the call, and uh, you get out and have a good Sunday. Everybody else, stick around. We've got another hour of gardening here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And we do have some open lines. We're going to talk to Elisa next, and uh, then it could be you. You know the number, 210-599-5555. Back to the phones. Good morning, Elisa. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Hi. Um, I have a quick question about temperature change. I know what to do when the temperature drops, but... Um, on Tuesday and Wednesday, it's going to be 80 degrees here. And right. going from 18 to 9, which is what we had tonight, and 30s, mm-hmm. how do I protect like, my spinach and my snap peas from such a sudden change? 
Um, the sudden change really shouldn't hurt them. Um, uh, it's much, much different than the other way around. The only, only possible thing would be the potential for a little bit of sunburn. Uh, if you worry about that, go out and feel the leaves. If the leaves actually start feeling really hot to the touch, uh, sunburn could be an issue. But I doubt very much you're going to see that. The the warming up doesn't usually cause a problem. Uh, If you do feel like the leaves are getting hot, all you can do is provide a little shade. You can use the same row cover called insulate that we use to protect things from the cold. Also makes a pretty good shade protection. And the nice thing is you can leave it on for several days and the plants still get plenty of uh, sunlight through it to photosynthesize. but it's, uh, uh, you know, burning is a function of leaf temperature, not necessarily of air temperature or intensity of the sun. But beyond that, no, your plants are going to be just fine. Uh, hot and dry makes them more prone to spider mites, so spray with some uh, seaweed. But, uh, again, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's not uh, 1% of the problem that getting really cold suddenly is. Heating up a lot. I guess one thing, and this is really an excellent question, but one thing that uh, I would caution you is that plants many times droop from the heat, and it's not because they're dry. It's simply because they're transpiring moisture faster they can t- than they can take it up. And the temptation is to look out and see wilted plants and say, oh, I better go water it. But the soil may still be pretty wet, and additional water is the last thing you want to do. So I guess I would be, you know, very careful to actually feel the soil around your spinach, snow peas, and everything else in the garden. And be sure you're not watering again until that soil is dry a good knuckle deep. Uh, because uh, you're going to see wilted plants. I can almost promise you that. But in most cases, I think you're going to find they're wilted from the heat, not because they need moisture. Okay. Uh, well, that makes me feel better. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> now, for you, I would recommend I would recommend sunscreen and electrolytes, but uh, uh, yeah. your plants don't really need those. But, uh, yeah, get, uh, uh, get plenty of sunscreen, and, uh, you know, I get a really, really good product from uh, my friend Rhonda that's called Ultima and comes in a lot of flavors if you're looking for something to get you through the summer and keep you keep you uh well hydrated without any sugar in it but uh no I'd, I'd be a little bit more concerned about elisa than i would be about the plants this week okay um i do have one more quick question certainly um, i asked i asked you about um some cayenne pepper that it drew some bees yeah uh, the last time i called and you said mm-hmm. you would look into that and i i have i, I just wondering yeah. I actually talked to Howard Garrett about it on the air yesterday. He had never heard of it, and uh, nobody else has. has <laughs> you, you have you've made a unique observation, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong. But I haven't found anybody else that's had that experience yet. So you apparently have some south of the border bees that that like it hot. They like it spicy, I guess. Yeah. Um, yes, I guess. Um, I think it's after the ants, maybe. I don't know. But they weren't before I poured the cayenne pepper. It was just so weird. Um, okay. well. It's kind of fun for me to find things in nature that have, you know, no reasonable explanation. Mankind gets so 
haughty and superior and think we know everything but every now and then it's just to me it's kind of reassuring when something mother nature throws you a curveball that you've never seen before and uh, I'll I'll certainly put it on the air if I hear from anybody that's had that experience but uh it may have been something that was in the cayenne pepper. Who knows what uh, these uh, companies have packaged spices. I don't really want to have to tell you this, but um, we, and as a matter of fact, I think it was cayenne pepper, um, recently opened a brand new bottle of it from the store and it had maggots in it. And it was one of the big names. I think it was uh, probably McCormick's, if I remember right, from HEB. They were horrified when we took it back to show them. So I, you just can't tell white what might show up. And I have to tell you, and this has just been in the past couple of months, but uh, makes me realize that when you open that jar, you need to look really carefully at it before you start sprinkling it on your food. And that was one of the most disgusting culinary experiences we've ever had. So it's quite possible uh, that your cayenne was, uh, you know, let's just say it was contaminated with something when you got it, and the may the bees may have been going after something other than the other than spice. Okay, all right. Well, I still have some of it in a jar, so I'll take a look. Do take a look at it and see. And uh, if you've got a hand lens, old-fashioned magnifying glass. Uh, Take a look and see, and I, <laughs> I hope you don't find anything that totally disgusts you. But, uh, I, again, it was in the past couple of months that so we had that experience, and uh, uh, that's about all, considering nobody else has ever heard of it. I have to say that that uh, rises pretty high to the list. Hopefully not maggots, but there may be some sort of contaminant in there that, while it's probably not harmful to you, it's kind of disgusting, and that might be what the bees were after. Oh, I don't. I don't do spicy. I just buy it just to get rid of the ant. So yeah, so yeah. I won't be eating it. But you know, if it if it brings bees and gets rid of ants, then you know I'll continue to use it for that. But I appreciate your your answering my questions, sir. Thank well, you. I I fully expect you're going to find that it was a one time only thing, and the next time you get a bottle. I'd be interested to know if the bees come to that, but my in thinking about it a great deal, I, I suspect there's some sort of contaminant in the bottle that you have. So let me know what you find. I will. All right. Thank you so much. And let's see here. Yeah, we can go ahead and take another call before we take a break, and that would be Tommy. Good morning, Tommy. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Yes, Bob. Yes. Hello. Hello. Hi, yeah, I'm, hello. <laughs> Got you loud and clear. Go right ahead. And okay, yeah, so I'm calling about the. Uh, the I'll turn, tr- I need to trim some oak trees, and I forgot which ones you said do not trim during this time. Is it the trim red oaks all. or? Yeah, no, it's it's fine to trim any of them this time of year. Uh, you have to. I would strongly recommend you paint the wounds on red oaks right. and live oaks. You don't need to seal any others, but. Uh, uh, no, I, as far as I'm concerned, all of your oaks. The only thing I wouldn't be pruning this time of year are flowering trees like red buds or mountain laurels or things. But right. your oak trees, if they need pruning, um, excellent weather to do it. Okay, and then uh, one of them, uh, the red oak kind of got damaged during the drought. Right. It's like part of it might have been dying. So could I, I can go ahead and trim all that up and just keep watering and fertilizing, right? 
water and fertilize and mulch and don't overdo it with the water. We we went from having, you know, very cold weather to very, very dry weather, um, and and the red oaks took it hard. They're wimps compared to live oaks and bur oaks, but um, it, it wasn't just the drought. And, and red oaks are normally among our most drought-resistant trees, but they actually suffered from the cold, and then the drought was just a double whammy on top of it, and... Uh, uh, everybody I talk to that has acreage that has red oaks is seeing some of that. Uh, I'm certainly seeing it on my ranch and all around. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, good fertilizer, a little bit of Garrick juice would help, maybe a little bit of Super Thrive water, but don't overdo it on the water. It'd be real easy to keep them too wet at this point. So when you water, water very thoroughly, but then don't do it again till it's dry a couple of knuckles deep, at least a couple of weeks. Okay, well, this happened during the summer. I started drowning it in the summertime yep. when I noticed it was getting a little weak. Yeah, well, Damn you it. may have you may have compounded huh? compounded the problem with too much water because red oaks really like it on the dry side. But do whatever trimming you need, and uh, like I say, a little Garrett juice, a uh, little. In fact, you can look look up on his website the sick tree treatment. But probably all you'll need to do is just a good dousing with Garrett juice and Super Thrive, and we'll see what uh, this summer brings as far as weather goes. All right, so I can go ahead and trim off all the dead stuff that looks like dead. Okay. Well, you know, if you want to be sure, you need to wait until the buds start to swell, which will be another couple of weeks. But many times it's pretty obvious which limbs are dead and which aren't. It's just uh, red oaks are drop all their leaves every winter anyway. And uh, even okay. if you were to see leaves on there, sometimes the leaves die and the branch dies, but they still have, you know, dry leaves on it. So be pretty circumspect to be sure you are cutting dead wood and as long as you're cutting dead wood you don't have to paint but if you find any moisture at all if you feel like you're cutting into any live tissue be absolutely certain that you seal those wounds i'll paint it all it doesn't matter I know. Red okay all right hey thank you bob enjoy it appreciate it, oh, it have a good i day. appreciate you tommy thank you sir <laughs> goodbye all right don i guess we better get our first break of the hour out of the way we'll be right back with more phone calls talk to kathleen and paul next South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Kathleen and Paul and John. Good morning next uh, to Kathleen. Good morning. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? Can you hear me? Loudly and clearly. Okay. Everybody says that's funny. Um, I had a few questions up. I just recently bought a a plant that I don't really know much about. I looked at the the little card on it, but anyway, what, what's it's it called? called uh, Dipladenia. Yeah, Dipladenia is first cousin to Amandavia. It's a tropical yeah. vine, a little bit bushier, but golly, there's some beautiful new colors I've never seen before came out last summer. But it's a, it's a neat vine. It's a tropical vine. You'll have to protect it in the winter months but uh, and give it a lot of sun. doesn't really like temperatures below about oh, 45 degrees or so. But, uh, yeah, lots of sun, water when it's good and dry on the surface, feed regularly, and it will reward you with absolutely beautiful flowers all summer long. It doesn't really have a, a blooming season. Just during the warm weather, it just seems to bloom continuously. Annually. So, uh, which color is the diplodenia that you got? Um, it's pink. Yeah, that's the most common pink. one. 
Yeah, there is a uh, there's a dark pink in the diplodenia. There's a lighter pink they call Alice Dupont, and uh, it's close, large cousin uh, Amandavia. But there are some new yellow to uh, almost apricot colored. There's some gorgeous diplodenias out there. So you made a good choice. Just uh, remember that it'll have to have some winter protection. You'll have to either be able to bring it in or build a little greenhouse over it to keep it going. Right. I did... Uh bring it in uh last night i guess or yesterday or mm-hmm. friday i can't remember because yeah. uh, it got cold and yeah. but uh, it. yeah and it it does have some flowers on it right now but uh anyway and i've got it it'll have plenty of sun this summer yeah treat it exactly like you would tropical hibiscus and um right. It's it will bloom throughout the throughout the summer for you. If you give it adequate light, uh, you'll be calling me in, on Halloween and telling me how beautiful your diplodini was all summer long. <laughs> yeah, well, I wanted something that would attract the bees and the butterflies. So, and, and it will, then it I will had do that. A, a, a question on pansies. I had some. And they had great blooms on them. And then when we had that Arctic blast, and it was in mm-hmm. the teens, and I was a little worried about them. So I, I know they're cold hardy, but I, I brought them in, and they were inside for about three days. And then I brought them out, and uh, I don't know. One of the plants, it's like all the flowers sort of went away. And mm-hmm. I I did put azomite, and I don't know. My husband fertilized it. Yeah, I've well, it, but. just just be careful on your water. Water really thoroughly when it's good and dry on the surface. Right. But pansies are one thing. If you keep them too wet, uh, they'll just turn up their toes and die on you. So there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So right. be sure. Whoever waters, be sure that you water very, very thoroughly. Now that it's back out in the sun, it will be much happier. And uh, that the cold we had was not enough to bother the pansies. It uh, might do a little damage to blooms on snapdragons and stock, but uh, pansies could take it. So um, hopefully you won't have to bring it in again this year. Keep it out in the sun. Yeah, I didn't think so. but And, yeah. and they were pretty dry when I brought them back outside. So yeah. I did, like you said, watered thoroughly, and I really haven't watered since I've checked them. But uh, <laughs> well, anyway. the pansies will pansies will fade, but the diplodini will be there all summer for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. And one last question that doesn't have anything to do with gardening, but when is a good time to call to get into t- talk to Doctor Kirby? Uh, call during the eleven o'clock news. And, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, my engineer got a great engineer this morning, and he will. You'll have to sit on hold for a few minutes, but uh, oh, uh, just fine. like my yeah. show, uh, the earlier you know, call call a few minutes before the show starts, which in this case will be right at eleven o'clock, and uh, you'll get through, and we'll look forward to talking to you. Okay, because one time I called, I thought, well, I'll call about ten to eleven. I called like 27 times, seriously. But anyway, okay, no, I'll do no. that. Uh, We're still talking gardening at 10 minutes till 11, but uh, yeah, when you I hear know. that 11 o'clock news break come on, you dialed in. Okay, thank you very much, Bob. You're Bye-bye. welcome, Kathleen. Of course, everybody knows if you have a question for Dr. Kirby now to call at that time, so you might get a busy signal, but such is the life. Uh, next up is uh, Paul. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Bob. Morning, uh, sir. Wonder, 
what's the chances of transplanting a crepe myrtle that's been in the ground probably seven plus years and probably 15 plus feet tall? Um, you're going to have to dig a pretty big root ball, but, uh, you need to do it real soon if you're going to do it. Um, but, uh, pretty good. I'd, I'll give you probably 60%, 70% chance you'll do fine with it. You probably want to prune it back some. Um, how big in diameter is the trunk at the base? Oh, I, I don't know that off the top of my head, Bob. Okay, plan on plan on starting at the base of the tree and uh, moving out maybe twelve to fifteen inches in all directions. You know, go around it in a circle. Basically, dig a trench around it, then undercut it. You're going to wind up with a root ball that probably will weigh a couple of hundred pounds, but uh, don't try to pick it up directly. Uh, wrap it up with a tarp or an old blanket or something like that. Get some help to do it. Uh, never lift it by the trunk. That'll break up the root ball and probably kill it. But if you can keep the root ball intact, uh, you know, and slide it to its new spot uh, to transplant it, you and water it in with some Garrett juice, some Super Thrive, you'll probably be just fine. If it were a commercial tree digger, what they would do is basically dig a trench all the way around it, uh, then wrap it with chicken wire, and they've got a little tool they put in there and spin around that tightens the wire around it. What you want to do is try to avoid breaking up the root ball. You can probably, even if you you know take away 75% of the root system of the tree and digging it, uh, it'll still come out and grow. You probably cut it back when you do it. But uh, if you can manage to dig it without breaking the root ball, your chances that it'll survive are very, very good. How deep you think, Bob? Probably 15 inches. Okay. Just just imagine an oversized uh, basketball. You know, it's maybe 18. Well, it, it's, uh, you know, that would move it up to about 24 inches to 30 inches in diameter. Like I say, it's going to be heavy. And if you, if you had something mechanical to lift it with, uh, you would use like a strap that you wrap around the root ball, not around the trunk. But this is just how the professionals do it. I gave up that years ago, and uh, <laughs> moving big plants always got the professionals with the equipment to do it. But the whole secret there is don't break the root ball. Do that. Your chances are uh, real high, probably 95% that it's going to transplant successfully. Okay. And will the the leopard plant, will that thing take uh, heavy morning sun and then after afternoon shade? Yeah, have morning sun, afternoon shade. Uh, yeah, leopard plants, uh, easier to say than farfugium. So, uh, no, it'll be happy with morning sun, shade in the afternoon. Okay, great. That's all I got, Bob. Thank you so much. Good questions, Paul. Thank you. Uh, let's go ahead and take one more call before we take the break, and that would be John. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Morning. Um, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about the, my leaf cutters that are yeah. all going They'd eaten my uh, cabbage, cauliflower, and broccoli all the nubs, and uh, so I, I bought some more and uh, changed it from six packs to gallons and got to try to see if it'll harden off. My neighbor has some or cabbage. Uh-huh. Things are just leaving alone completely, but she planted them, you know, much earlier than I did. Um, but they're not even bothering them, it doesn't look like. So I'm hoping these will harden off, you know, or not harden off, but get thicker leaves and things, and maybe they'll leave them alone at that point. 
Um, is that doable with with the that type of crop? I've, I've done it with my tomatoes. Also, I've, oh, I've absolutely. Yeah, you know, uh, cabbage and and broccoli, cauliflower. We've still got time. If it doesn't, you know, this it troubles me that we're going to probably be in the 80s uh, later this yeah. week. But if right. uh, if we have a typical year, we'll drop back to a you know moderate temperature, 50s and 60s, and maybe 70s, and that's ideal weather for growing your cold crops. Uh, you've got some of the most persistent leaf cutters, and I wish I had a better answer of how to control that problem, but. Um, Another thing you could do is, uh, you know, put them in pots rather than put them in the ground. I'm picturing maybe a 10-inch clay pot sitting in a saucer of water. Uh, that's one thing they can't do is swim. Uh, so if you would have a way to put them in a pot and set them in effect a moat, uh, set them down in that, you would certainly be able to grow them, and I think you'd stop the ants. But uh, uh, in the garden, them. what's that? Right now I have them on a table on a a uh, plastic table on my deck <laughs> in with the legs of the table sitting on bricks that are in uh plastic containers i'll probably have a mosquito problem in <laughs> next well week. then you can take care of that with bti but that's not nearly as uh, silly as you think it is i've i've had people do beehives that way because they get a problem with uh that little grub that gets into the beehives that uh, can actually wipe out a hive, uh, but it's something that climbs up. Uh, I don't. I'm not a beekeeper, and I don't aspire to be one. Uh, and poor Dr. Kirby, you know, almost killed him finding out he was allergic to the bees. But I've known beekeepers to actually, you know, set the four legs of the beehive down into a container. And I think he put, you know, something, something odd in there, like a little bit of kerosene or a little bit of diesel or something like that mm. to stop the blasted things from climbing up. So um, your, your solution is not all that unique. It's, you haven't had to go to quite those extremes, but it's a pretty clever way to solve the problem. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they've even found the the table yet but i'm sure they will at some point and the blasted um, things will probably learn to swim as adaptive as they seem to be but uh, uh you can do this uh put you know every few days just put take a little dropper and put a couple of drops of orange oil in the water that's in those containers and you'll never have a mosquito larvae in there okay um another thing i i'd talk to you about making my raised beds and so i've got those completed and and they've been sitting out there with the plants I have had eaten up, but uh, the soil that I got is much heavier than my my soil that's in my garden. And uh -huh. I was curious, do I need to uh, try to loosen that up, and what would I loosen it with? I I just put some compost, and uh, I don't think you actually need to blend it in. When you put compost on the surface and water, the humic acids, the fulvic acids, all the microbial life in the compost goes down into the soil underneath it, does a lot to soften it. As you're planting, you'll just naturally mix a bit of it in, but uh, that's a fairly common issue, and um, you could always work in some lava sand. You could always, there are a lot of different things you could do, products like Medina Plus and soil activator will help soften it but uh nothing like a couple of inches of compost on the top should be all that well, if we're mine that's I'll all wait. i'd worry about 
always collect the leaves in the neighborhood and and chop those up and put them on tops of my bed. So I yeah. don't that going on. Yeah, um, don't don't work them in until they're pretty well decomposed because in the process of decomposing, the leaves need a lot of. Uh, nitrogen and they'll just steal it from your fertilizer leave them on the surface till they're pretty well broken down yeah i learned that the hard way you filled that one race bed in with all the <laughs> stumps and everything and then you talk oh, it later d- on it's going to take forever for that to decompose under, under there that far um last thing uh, i read an article about um putting clover out um and just using that as a, as your yard, and I kind of like the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that article that was not written. That was not written in South Texas. Here. No, That's it I does thought. not. Yeah, clover is clover is a great legume. Clover is uh, a beautiful thing if you happen to live in a cool climate, but it will fold up and die when the temperature hits about ninety degrees with any consistency here. So it's a fine wintertime cover crop. But unless you want to move a considerable distance north, which I wouldn't recommend, <laughs> clover's not going to make a very good yard for you. And if you plant the Hubam clover, which is what Malcolm Beck used to plant to enrich the soil, first year it'll grow about six feet tall. So um, it, it's interesting stuff, but uh, it's not a long grass. Yeah. Okay, well, that's, I thought that would be great for the bees and all that. that would have something going on all summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you a couple of beautiful places in Wyoming and in Colorado and some other things where that'd be a pretty good idea. But uh, <laughs> then then you got to deal with the winter up there, and uh, that's why I'm not up there full time, I think. But uh, no, clover's a, clover's a great plant, but it's certainly not something that's going to do well in the summer here. Okay. All right. Appreciate it, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Don, let's get a break in here. We'll be back with some more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening. Looks like uh, my next three callers are going to be Philip, Tana, and Natalie. Philip's up first. Good morning, Philip. Good morning. Hey, Bob. Morning, sir. Question. Okay. Um, what is this weed that is infesting everywhere? It looks, I don't know. I have a neighbor that tells me it's crabgrass. I have another neighbor that's saying it's wintergrass. I have another neighbor that's saying it's, it's ryegrass. But I thought it was just my yard, but I'm starting to look everywhere. Even, <laughs> everywhere in San Antonio, I'm like, what is this? Um, it's, you know, any of those names will apply. The other common name is rescue grass. Um, it's just a it's just a cool weather weed. The seeds blow in, or the seeds may have been there from last year. Uh, comes up, you know, lives for a couple of months, makes a lot more seed, and then dies out as soon as it gets hot. Uh, if your lawn grass hasn't really greened up yet, you can make a mixture of vinegar and orange oil, gallon vinegar, two ounces orange oil, spray it, and it will die very quickly. Of course, it's uglier dead than it is alive. I recommend just mow it off, even if you have to do it twice a week. I actually use a weed eater because uh, everybody with the yard's got at least some of it coming up because uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just, yeah, it's uh, with having some rain this spring, that's one of the bad side of good rains. It'll be gone as soon as it gets hot. So uh, if you want to, if you, 
Yeah, you can just, well, I would mow it regularly enough to try to yeah, keep the right. seed heads off so that we don't have quite as much of it next year, but uh, right. it's it's only a problem in that it, you know, shades out our permanent grasses. It gets a foothold because it starts growing before Bermuda or St. Augustine or Zoysia or anything else does, but... Uh, um, it's just, it's a nuisance, uh, and I just control it with a mower or my line trimmer and, um, you know, just try to keep it from going to seeds, the best advice I can give you. That sounds like a plan. It's just, I was cutting it, and I'm like, man, I'm cutting it like every three days. I'm like, good. <laughs> you can cancel your gym membership. You're getting all the exercise you need out in the yard. Yes, sir. Okay, that's my main thing. I don't know if it was going to die out later or. Oh yeah, it'll be gone as soon as it gets hot. It'll it'll start and it gets ugly before it dies. It starts getting big kind of gray to brown areas in it. That's probably going to start happening next week if we do get up in the 80s like it's forecast to. So uh um just de- deal with it and don't sweat on it or don't lose any sleep over it. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, Philip. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. I guess Tana had a question she forgot to ask when we talked earlier. Good morning, Tana. Definitely a question this time around. <laughs> okay. okay. I, have, I have a 7-gallon recirculating water feature. Good. How much hydrogen peroxide do I need to use to keep it algae-free? Oh, maybe a quarter of a cup. Okay, and how often? That'll depend on the weather and on the temperature. When you start to see algae appear, treat it again. And, um, you know, the way one way that you can probably save some money on hydrogen peroxide is if you see something advertised as non-chlorine bleach, usually it's seventh generation is the brand. All that is is hydrogen peroxide, and it's uh, cheaper than getting it out of the pharmaceutical section. Okay, seventh generation non-chlorine. Non, non-chlorine bleach. is It's 100% hydrogen peroxide. Okay. Now uh, let me let me restate that it's it's not a hundred percent it's 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 diluted down. I don't know what the percentage is, but there are no additives to it all. That that would be a much better way. I should have stated it. It doesn't have anything but hydrogen peroxide in there. Okay, and of course that's okay for the pump in there, and no problem. Okay with the for bird. the pump, and won't bother the birds. Uh, I would do it in the evening when the birds are not likely to visit it overnight. Uh, right. It. You know, again, we, Dr. Kirby, well, he has something better now, but uh, something we've done before is when we thought uh, dogs had gotten into something toxic and they needed to empty their tummies, just give them a tablespoon or two full of that and everything will come up pretty quickly. So it's it's not a poison or anything like that, uh, and it does have yeah, a lot of I know. uses. Been there, been there, done that when she got, <laughs> when she did indiscretionary browsing. Well, I, I believe it or not, last night in the middle of the night, my kitty cat got uh, a little too affectionate working those claws back and forth, and uh, uh, was poking a couple of holes in my arm. So I was wiping that off with hydrogen peroxide afterwards. It's it's just a great thing. My dermatologist says that's the main thing he tells people when he has to do little minor surgeries and things that's what he tells them to treat the incisions
friends with because uh, uh, it's an algae killer. It is a great bactericide, a great viricide. It has many, many uses. Uh, don't look for a super concentrated form because it can be caustic and uh, uh, actually a little dangerous to handle if you get more than the grocery store strength. But uh, you're not going to be doing that anyway. It, it's a great algae controller for sure. Well, ever since I discovered you and then later on Dr. Kirby, it's a matter of if I don't turn on the radio and listen to you, it's like I have not I have not had the opportunity <laughs> to visit with family. Well, you're mighty kind, Tane, and we feel the same way about you. I speak for Dr. Kirby, too. He he asked me, hey, have you heard from Tane lately? And uh, so we consider you our, our radio family as well. So you get out and have a great day. You too. Bye. Thank, thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. Don, I think it's break time here, and um, can't wait to hear what happens at the end of the break. And then uh, Natalie will be our next caller uh, after this break. A little fun in the sun. You don't know what you'll be missing. That's right. Let's go fishing. The sun's out, so you know we're on a mission. Call up my boys, let them know we're going fishing. Hell yeah, you know we're going fishing. Hell yeah, you know we're going fishing. The sun's out, so you know we're on a mission. Call up my boys, let them know we're going fishing. Hell yeah, you know we're going fishing. So you know we're getting ready Loading up the ice and the beers and the Yeti Loading up the truck, can't forget about the boat Got the fishing poles with me, now we ready, let's go Calling all the buddies, let them know we on the way Tell them where to meet us, we meeting at Baffin Bay But before we head out, we got one more stop Roy's Bait and Tackle Shop Oh yeah, we bout to have a good time In the water as we cast our line Laguna Madre, Baffin Bay, we heading down there Redfish, trout, drum, and flounder Fishing from the sunrise <laughs> to the sunset we Oh, I love it, Don It's our, our fishing rap song, and it's close to home It's, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember what the other song was Were they talking about casting out on the bay? But obviously, obviously someone with South Texas in their blood That's, uh uh, our fishing song for the week and uh, encore it got such a good response last time we played it we're doing it again got a few minutes left though for gardening now let's uh take a look here we've got natalie and alan and christy we'll work to get everybody in so we'll get to your questions quickly natalie's first in line good morning natalie good morning thank you for good. all of your knowledge i've um been a long time listener first time caller so i uh, appreciate um, the call anyway, I- want to tell you thank you for for the advice for the southwest middle roof because we've had one now for several years and we love it and uh i was listening um i've I've learned so much from you but i've I've learned i uh can't even begin to tell you anyway thank you it's Uh, my pleasure thank you for listening oh go ahead i've learned so much anyway there was a lady that called in earlier and she was talking about a ground cover she saw with uh blue flowers Mm mm-hmm um, well, I have something that looks like that, and we live on a hill, and I've had it for, I planted it 22 years ago, and uh, it's Vinca periwinkle, and okay. it gets mature, it, get, it looks like that when it, when it gets real mature. I have, I protected it during the really hard frost, and it, because it's a little protected by the hill and everything, mm-hmm. it's just gotten so mature 
But yeah. that, that vinca periwinkle, um, while we do have deer out, um, uh-huh. it's, it's in a, we have four cavapoos, and they don't hang out in that particular area, but I think they scare off the deer, and we do have mm-hmm. a picket fence and some things that, that protect it. So I think it's been protected from the deer all these years. But it's, yeah. it's grown. It's just absolutely stunning right now. It's so beautiful. Well, it's, that's, uh, that is a great thought. I always think of that as more a lavender flower than a blue flower. But yeah. uh, Vinca Major is uh, the only problem with it. My grandfather had some of that in his yard. And every now and then you'll get a little caterpillar that gets in there and can eat the foliage off. But, you know, you can control that easily with BT or something. But uh, I recall a couple of times that on Friday we had a beautiful stand of it. And on Monday it was nothing but stems. So that's the only reason I think some people don't use it as often. But I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, it would definitely be Vinca Major rather than Vinca Minor to have big leaves. And uh, I think uh, she just described it as leaves were maybe an inch and a half wide and two inches long and that's that's big even for vinca major but that's a real good candidate and uh and i just sincerely appreciate you taking the time to let us know well um i also uh wanted to ask you i have this big tough tub and that you'd use for like like what uh, animals to drink out of if mm-hmm. i put some yeah. holes in that could i could i use that as a giant raised flower bed it would be ideal. Yeah, that's. Uh, they're probably made by Rubbermaid. They last forever. Yeah. That's yeah, probably the. Yeah, that Bernie had them. Would make an Super. outstanding and raised I, bed. And do I this love though, Dr. Kirby. And could you ask him <laughs> for me? I'm sorry. If could you ask him what he cleans his plastic grass with? Okay, I will do it. Uh, making have, a note right now. I run about four acres, and I have garden rooms. And okay. each one has, and and the lower part of our land is, is the winter rye. But in our backyard, for the pups in the morning, I have the plastic grass, and I'm just curious uh-huh. what people use for that. I and, will, uh, I will ask him. Let me back up to your raised bed just one time. When you put your holes in that, um, you know it has some ridges on the bottom. Be sure that you're di- drilling between the ridges. But I would actually put a couple of holes right at the base but out the sides rather than out the bottom because sometimes those holes in the bottom can plug up. But if you go right around the perimeter of the base to drill your holes, I don't think you'll ever have a problem with it failing to drain. Oh, oh, oh okay, that's good to know. Okay, okay. super. I haven't put the holes in yet. I wanted to ask you about this before. I well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> Natalie, let me let me hurry on. Please don't wait so long okay. to call me again. But let me see if all I can right. get Alan and Christy I, you know in what? here. Thank you so much, and thank you to all the other callers too. Well, Bye. thank you most kindly, Alan. You're up next. Good morning, Alan. Hi. Um, I have collected some uh, mountain laurel, little red mountain laurel seeds. Yes, sir. Tell me the process to get them to grow. You want to scratch the seeds. You want to scratch them lightly. A professional grower would throw them like in a gym tumbler and put a little carborundum in. Uh, You don't want to saw a hole in the side of it, but imagine a heavy, hard wax. You want to scratch it enough to get through that. 
Um, you can use uh, just an old triangular file or, you know, the old flat file, something like that. Just one or two passes across it. Uh, some people will put it between two pieces of sandpaper. I know a fellow with a grinding wheel who takes and uses a pair of pliers and holds the seed and just touches it again for an instant. But you've got to, you want to break that waxy layer. Then just soak them in some garret juice for probably an hour or so. You get almost 100% germination. Like I say, you don't have to saw a hole in the side of the seed, but just enough to abrade that waxy layer. Brief soaking garret juice, uh, plant them maybe half an inch deep, keep them moist, keep them warm, and you'll have lots of mountain laurel seedlings. All right. Scratch it all the way around or just in one area? Just one spot. You've just got to give the water a place to get into the seed or to start soaking into the softer side of the seed. All right. Got it. Thank you very much. You're sure welcome. And Christy thanks you, too, because that leaves her a little more time. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Bob. Quick question. Good morning. How do you um, properly prune roses? I hear you describe it, but I just don't quite have it down. And it's just okay. for health, not for marks. Okay. Um, you you do not want to prune your climbing roses now or you'll lose all the flowers because climbers bloom on last year's wood. We prune climbers very little, but just the only reason to prune a climber is to shape it, and we wait till it finishes flowering to do that. Bush roses are what we prune right now, and we do it to improve the vigor, to improve the blooming and the size of blooms. And you start by taking out any dead wood that you have in the bush and then go through and cut it back between a third and two-thirds. You want to kind of cut off the very thin little growth that's up toward the top and cut it back to the major canes because that's what's going to give you the strongest growth coming out and the most flowers uh, in the spring. Again, you can prune it up to two-thirds, but if you're growing knockouts and things like that, uh, it they may not need to be pruned by more than a third. But I guess the best way to think of it is if you've got fairly weak little stems up there, the flowers are going to be fairly weak and not well supported, so you're going to prune it down to the point that the growth will be coming out off a little bit heavier limb and, um, you know, just aesthetically just, you know, try to try to make it a reasonable shape. But uh, um, in the case of most roses, you can be fairly fairly aggressive in your pruning and they'll still come out and do just fine for you does that help yes sir that's exactly what i want to know thank you so much you're sure welcome and followed up with a little fertilizer and uh good thorough watering and three weeks from now you should have beautiful flowers and uh, i'll look forward to talking to you again about them everybody thank you for joining us for the garden show dr kirby is here now and we're just about to have an hour of your pet's health um, we'll be doing gardening again next Saturday morning. We start that early at 530. Get out and have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the sunshine. This is KTS Radio.